nice to meet you. We're all glad you came. Won't you try and remember our name? Hello, Sharks fans, and welcome to Blood, Sweat, and Teal, a Fear the Fin podcast. I'm C. I'm Eric. And Kyle is in a turkey coma right now. (laughs) (laughs) He's got Canadian Thanksgiving, so he's off in the land of no internet. So uh, I have Eric Fowle with me. Nothing. I don't know. (laughs) Like, hi, yeah, I'm I'm Eric. I'm I'm happy to be joining the, the show today. Looking forward to answering a few questions, talking about the last week of the Sharks season and kind of making some predictions for the next set of games going forward. Awesome. So Eric's kind of like our our resident uh, computer boy in a way, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) He's very stats minded, which is great. It's something that we really value at Fear the Fin and he always introduces us to new stuff. So that's exciting. Something that the the Sharks are going to have to deal with this week is the loss of Joe Thornton, which we just heard about today. Day that Joe has swelling in his right knee, which is the knee he injured in January. So, what are they going to do without him? I, you know, I don't. I don't know that it will matter too much. I guess <laughs> they seem to do well. I, I, I say that from a place of like really loving Joe Thornton, but I and and my response was only because last year they seemed fine when he went down. Yeah, you know, and it wasn't. Obviously, it wasn't ideal, but I think especially now that you have like Sue O'Mello replacing Tierney in the third center spot and Hurdle could potentially slide over if you want him to, I think they're even better equipped to deal with it this year than they were last year. So I don't, I don't want to negate his impact entirely on the game, but with the pieces they've added, I do think they should be okay. I mean, he's, he's still... A good player but he also is 39 and <laughs> yeah you know was was right, on the right, decline right. anyway so well I, and it's i don't I'm, I'm not too concerned and we haven't seen joe thornton in months i mean he, he was out from january through the end of last year so it's not like we haven't seen what this team is capable of without joe thornton and this team swept the ducks without Joe Thornton. <laughs> so, right, uh, right. And I think too, when you look at who they have to to fill in that spot now, last year after the trade deadline, I will say that because obviously Evander Kane played a huge part in um, replacing that. Not that they weren't doing well before mm-hmm. him, but you know the guys that they had waiting in the wings were Joel Ward and and Yannick Hansen, and now it's Rourke Charche and Dylan Gambrell, which don't instill a ton of confidence but at the same time they're a lot faster more skilled players they're younger I think that puts the team in a better position like you said I think lineup wise though that's what's going to be interesting because my initial thought is that they would go back to what they did last year where they had Joe Pavelski and Evander Kane on the top line and I think they would keep Timo up there and then move Sorensen mm-hmm. to the line with the Finns and that's been that was kind of like the second suggestion I was seeing on Fear the Fin people in the comments. The first impression they thought would just be moving Sorensen up to the top line. What are your thoughts? I would be very surprised if they move Sorensen up to the top line. Uh, last year, DeBoer was pretty was pretty good about you know when things started to kind of hit the fan, going back to what had been working. So if the, if the team hadn't played well for a while, or in you know when Joe Thornton got injured again. Rather than mix everything up, he went back to, like you said, Hurdle Couture and LeBanc and kind of kept kept things constant that he knew had worked in the past and it kind of built around it. So I think your predictions for the top two lines sound perfect because that's what he did last year. And I don't see him suddenly panicking and reshifting everything. And I... I mean that makes the most sense. Is like moving Sorensen up. If none of the other young, younger, younger guys were able to make the team out of camp anyway, I sort of doubt that he's just going to pop him on the third line all of a sudden. So I think that seems to make the most sense. And Gambrel might even play winger. I think he. I think there's a quote from Pete DeBoer during the preseason where he shifted Gambrel over to winger for a game or two, and was just like, "Yeah, we want to see what he can do in all positions." So. 
sounds like he might just be the utility guy in that fourth line and Sorensen probably bumps up with the fins, like you said. Yeah, I think uh, I think we see Rourke before we see Gambrell, just because he did earn that 13th spot. I think Gambrell will probably sit out for a bit. Um, they might test him. I don't know. We'll see. But I think Rourke will probably go on that fourth line, bump Marcus up with the fins, and then just get Kane on the top line. Because what, well, what I'm seeing in the comments is people saying that they it'd be stupid to break up that third line when they've been so effective, but you'd rather have a, a top line that can function <laughs> like your top lines where you don't want to mess yes, around. Yeah. So yeah, I, I yes. agree that that makes the most sense. Uh, what do we think about, I mean, is this going to be, this is going to be Joe Thornton's last year, right? Like it has to be. I mean, yeah, as sad as it is to say it, I mean, I, we, we kind of saw it with, um, with Yager, like he was good, he was good, he was good. And then he wasn't. Right. And then he just wasn't able to make the flames and they, you know, he went back to Russia, the Czech Republic. And it was just sort of like, uh, I, and it, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere cause he was old, but everyone sort of thought, well, he was fine last year. Why wouldn't he be right. fine this year? And then he, and then he just wasn't fine. So yeah, again, we haven't seen, I mean, Th- Thornton, the thing with Thornton though is he was, he was really good in there yeah. for this game. Um, so it wasn't like he hasn't been doing anything when he's playing so yeah that's what sucks is that he's still effective at his age it's just his health and what it makes me think of actually and um i i've brought this up before that you know i i do all my stuff with the kalamazoo wings but their goaltender uh joel martin he had been with the team for years he was like just a mainstay in that organization i think he was 36 which like for a goaltender is old and uh he retired this year he's actually going to be their their goaltending coach i believe and um what he said when he announced his retirement is he has a lot of hockey left in him but his body doesn't that like he just physically cannot do it anymore like even though he he's still there like you know there's just that thing where your your body just can't do it anymore and and i think that's the point that mm-hmm. thornton's getting to is that if he hadn't had two knee injuries in the last two years he would have had so much more hockey still left in him he probably could have done you know the yager playing until he's 44 or jesus what you know like whatever but i i just think that his body is like nope we can't do this bud <laughs> like, like we're out right. yeah yeah that's sort of <laughs> so the, the interesting thing and i don't know i mean I, don't, I haven't really seen this happen with hockey players before but in the nfl what they'll do is give veterans regular rest mm-hmm. during the week and so you'll see practice reports like so and so didn't practice today it's fine they're just managing his reps and making sure and maybe that's just what they're doing and they're just going to have to give him a week or two off at a time on the IR during the course of the season and just sort of be like, look, because although, you know, uh, there are a lot of articles where it was sort of Pete DeBoer joking that he can't keep yeah. Thornton off the ice. And maybe it's like, look, this is the only way to keep him off the ice is you just hold him home from a road trip here and there and kind of make sure he rehabs his knee and gets whatever inflammation down kind of thing. And and then is healthier for the rest of the games coming up at home. So, I mean, I don't, I, I've never seen that before. Maybe that's something, or maybe it's just a legitimate. He was really sore after the second game, and they said, "All right, take yeah, a seat well, for a while." I, I mean, it, different coaches have different feelings about you know things like practice and stuff too. I mean, like Joe Quenville does not practice his players on game days and stuff like that. And I think that maybe they just mm-hmm. might have to look at something different for this situation for Thornton and keeping him healthy for games might mean resting him other times. I don't know about putting him at like, it's Joe Thornton, like putting him on IR when he doesn't want to be <laughs> like, is going to be rough. Right, but, uh, right, right, right. I mean, I imagine he's not on IR just because they said this is the only way to keep him right. off the ice. I'm sure it was, there's bad something bad enough that's going on, but I just wonder if they'll find some other way to kind of mitigate the amount of, stress they put on his knees over the course yeah, of the season but they did have joe for the last week so let's kind of get into those games they lost to the ducks and beat the kings in overtime and i think the biggest thing from both those games is that like they were playing so much better than the score like could ever reflect <laughs> yes yes i mean especially the first game against the ducks was just it was really they dominated at even strength uh, their power play wasn't great. They kind of started, they made some tweaks in the second one and it looked a little better, but really they just, it was, 
Martin Jones had a bad game and their PK continued to be yeah. pretty bad. So they kind of just shot themselves in the foot a few times and that was it. But otherwise, yeah, they totally dominated. And it was the same thing against LA too. Like the fact that they only scored three goals and it took them until overtime to score their third was, was pretty nuts. I, the one thing I will say is that even though at Anaheim they had so many shots, I like the if you look at a chart of the shots from after the game, they really were from all over the place. They, it wasn't as if they had 10 shots from really uptight and close in the slot. So there's certainly some room for improvement. But for the most part, these two games, their offense has been awesome. And they just haven't been able to put it in the back of the net. So I'm not really concerned about anything other than the penalty yeah. kill, frankly, at least for the next Right. I mean, weeks. like, the Ducks game especially, it just felt like they like they could not get through Gibson. Like, they were doing literally everything right. And and this is something I, I tweeted about and we kind of talked about in Slack a little bit. But if you were watching that game, your frustration wasn't that the Sharks weren't playing well because the Sharks were playing very well. It was that they were doing everything right and they still couldn't score. And that's just a frustrating position to be in because you don't want to change anything at that point. I mean, not, you know, other than not scoring. Right, right. <laughs> but, you right. know. It's like, yeah, the focus on the – trust the process, yeah. basically. And the process was fine. They just – the results weren't there. And at some point, the results should start pouring in if they continue to do what they've done these last two games in in the shot differential department. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not concerned, again, except for their yeah. penalty kill. Yeah. We'll get back to that in a second, but Sean Tierney okay, okay. <laughs> tweeted some, he did a thread today of different uh, charts he did. And like the sharks are like, it just confirms everything that we've been saying about the sharks where uh, let's see, this one is team shot rates. Like the sharks and the canes are both just so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and then you're looking mm-hmm. at PDO and they are just super unlucky. Like, all of these things, like everywhere you look, the sharks are in the top, and then it comes to like luck, and they're in the bottom, <laughs> and that's just what's happening. Right, right. Like exactly. all of these things, they're exactly. they're definitely on pace to be a better team than what the scores have reflected. I think they're mad that they let the LA game go to overtime, and and rightfully so because you don't want to give up that one point to someone in your division, but there's no reason that game ever should have been in overtime with how the Kings were playing. Yes. Agreed. So I don't know. I it's, it's also just so early. Yeah. Let them play a few more games before we start to panic about anything. But for the most part, I would say my takeaway from the first two games is, is I'm really optimistic yeah. about this team this year. So getting to the penalty kill then, what are your thoughts on, on fixing that? I think that would require a bit more research <laughs> from the standpoint of, well, I don't like, I'm not uh, sort of, I guess what you would call a systems person. Like I couldn't, I don't sit there and watch tape and yeah. sort of go over and say, Hey, on the penalty kill, they should move this guy here, move that guy there. Yeah, that's why but, we have Kyle. <laughs> but you, right. Right. But what you can do is go and look at guys over the course of the last few years and sort of see what their impact on the penalty kill has been in terms of allowing shots and expected goals and that sort of thing against. And the one thing I found last year was that Braun and Vlasic have both been bad (laughs) penalty killers, which might be like counterintuitive or at least bad relative to the rest of the defensemen Mm -hmm. on the team. And so last year, I think I wrote an article about their unsustainable penalty kill and how it was mostly the goaltenders behind everyone. And I, recommended putting swapping some players in for other players i think some of those guys like vodker are gone now so it would just be honestly i like eric carlson is amazing on the penalty kill and i don't know that he's been out there a whole lot so i'm sort of like take classic and Braun out of there see what Joachim ryan can do play eric carlson there i don't don't even think brendan Brent Burns has been that bad on the PK. I gotta, I gotta double check that. But keep Vlasic and Braun away from the yeah. PK. Basically, is my is my my number one piece of advice for the coaching staff right now. If That's something that the Sharks would never do, <laughs> like because they're so no, of course not. they're so into that idea of them as a shutdown pair that like keeping them off the penalty kill would seem almost counterintuitive. But yeah, uh, I haven't really looked at numbers or anything. Have they, in the last two games, did they play Evander Kane on the penalty kill? I can't remember. I don't know if you noticed it all or not. I don't think so. I can, let me see if I can pop their team up really quickly. Their 
Pally Kill Network has been... Oh, okay. I was wrong. So Carlson has been playing a lot on the PK, which is awesome. But it's been Carlson and Vlasic, Burns and Braun. So I would, you know, less Braun maybe. Well, less Vlasic and Braun, but anyway. And Evander Kane a little bit, but it's mostly been Couture, Hurdle, Goodrow, and Sorensen have been the four forwards with the most PK time. Yeah. Which I'm, I don't know. I'm okay with that. Sorensen's quick. I feel like the sort of pervasive thought or not pervasive, but the, what people have been thinking about is like, Hey, just play your most skilled players on the penalty kill right. too. I think for a long time it was sort of, Hey, put the lumbering defenseman <laughs> back there, put the guys who aren't good otherwise and, right. and they should do fine. But you really want guys who can skate and get across the zone quickly and kind of get back and forth from, from place to place because the idea is that the power play is going to move the puck around quickly. So it makes sense to have your fastest skilled guys out there. So I, other than taking Vlasic off special teams in general, I don't <laughs> They seem to be okay personnel-wise. Yeah. But well, and I, it, I might just be their system too. I don't know. I, I think that um, in terms of having those, those smaller, speedier, uh, kind of more – I want to say talented guys, Uh, which is, it's hard to say about the Sharks this year because they have moved away from those, those big bruising guys uh, in the last couple of years. But, but you know, you're, you're more um, offensive minded players that one of the best things I think you can do on your penalty kill is to create offense because that eats up time. I mean, you, as soon as you get it out of your zone, that's, that's just time on the clock that you're burning, um, whether you score or not. So I, I, I do like that idea. And I think I think Couture on the penalty kill is is good. <laughs> but yeah. man, I don't know. I don't know. Something's gotta gotta give. They just gotta give Vlasic and Braun <laughs> away from special teams. <laughs> as counterintuitive as it sounds, get them their whole last year the whole PK seemed more intense on trying to create turnovers at the blue line, like the one that kind of sprung hurdles awesome goal. More so than focusing on limiting shots, they're kind of like just like play aggressive, see if you can make a turnover. And it was like almost as if they didn't care about how many shots they gave yeah. up, which I'm sure isn't the case. But the way they played, that's what it seemed like their primary goal was, I guess. Which I'm all for, but if you do that and also give up tons of shots, you're eventually going to get right. killed on the penalty kill. So yeah, you have to find, a, I guess, a balance, a better balance than what they Fair have enough. right now. So the penalty kill last year was one of the best in the league just if you're looking at raw percentages but you you had said there were some underlying numbers right that like yeah it was Mm -hmm. just just okay (laughs) it was yeah it was just okay and i say that what i mean by that is that when you look at the amount of shots and unblocked shots and things like scoring chances and expected goals allowed per 60 minutes of 4v5 penalty kill time is that the Sharks were middle of the league at best with those numbers. And it was really Jones and Dell having crazy good seasons on the penalty kill behind everyone that popped that penalty kill percentage up. So yeah, they're ranked number two penalty kill percentage in the league, but I don't think that's the best way to look at special teams. I think you need to look at that along with what's going on underneath and Beyond the goalies, it was not very good. And one way to even, if you go to one of my favorite sites, Hockey Viz, which is by Micah Blake McCurdy, has this awesome uh, site with visualized hockey stats. If you look at the Sharks team from last year and look at their penalty kill Viz, you can see there's a whole mess of shots right up close in front of the Sharks goal on the penalty kill. So it was like, clearly they weren't doing a good job of preventing dangerous chances against, and they just were lucky to have their goalies perform so well against those dangerous chances. So I don't, I like referring to how effective a power player penalty kill is by looking at those types of numbers versus just their overall kill or power play percentage, because that hides a whole lot of what's really going on. I think if you just look at percentages, Makes sense. And we've talked a lot about the power play. Um, we mentioned it actually last week on the show, but we talk a lot about it in our Slack and, you know, on the site and stuff and that the, the power play actually isn't as bad as people are making it out to be. And it's another one of those situations where they're doing everything right. 
they're just not scoring. It's not leading to scoring the way that it typically should. Yes. Well, so this year they have started off kind of slow. Like it hasn't, it hasn't been great, which I think is fairly clear by the eye test. In the second game against the Kings and even the second power play against the Ducks, they made some adjustments and it looked better. And I think they started getting some more shots on goal. But I think the thing is that last year it seemed like it was bad because, again, it was a low PP percentage. But after they made a bunch of changes, I, this is so funny. I have this date like ingrained in my memory because I've used it as a <laughs> as like a starting point so many times. November 18th, I think against – I forget if they're there or here against Boston – they changed up their their power play, and I think they moved Burns over to one of the wings and kind of just switched who was where and, and their focus of it, and it took off. And from that point through the rest of the season, they were top three in shots, unblocked shots, and I think expected goals for per 60 minutes of power play time. The one thing the one thing I will say is they were only 10th, which only 10th, but anyway, only 10th in um, expected shooting percentage on their – on their power play. And so like maybe that suggests they weren't doing quite enough kind of pre-shot movement to get the goalie moving. But I think for the most part, their power play was pretty awesome over the last 60 or so games of the season. And again, we're mostly unlucky did not have scored more often. So provided they go back to whoever was working last year, I think it should kind of, you know, revert course a little bit this year and regress and it should be okay. But they, it has looked a little shaky the first two games. Yeah, I, I, I think we can see that too. That's, I think, probably a decent enough transition <laughs> to our questions. We were given some questions <laughs> okay. for Eric and, oh, let me pull them up here. Okay, so the first one, I think, kind of goes back to our concerns with the penalty kill, which is from at, uh, I made this for FA1, they asked, <laughs> on Twitter, I don't, this is an interesting handle, uh, they asked, what do you think about Jones's performance so far pre-seasons, uh, preseason and these first two games included? Is there any reason to be concerned with him? The short answer is yes and no. <laughs> I don't. I didn't really. I don't know what his what his numbers were like in the preseason. I feel like he only played a game or two, and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some takeaways you can take from the preseason, but goaltending probably isn't the best one to. Right. But so he's he's at like an eight twenty or something. I I don't know what he is. He's it's, it's bad. It's bad right now. Right. Um. The good news is that that should regress because even a true. 920 save percentage goalie can fluctuate between I think it's like an 860 or 890 save percentage and a 935 save percentage over the course of a season just due to variance and luck alone mm-hmm. and Jones wasn't a 920 goalie to begin with he was more of like a 914 915 goalie right and so his you know his lower bound of that is lower but I don't think, you know, he's like an eight, whatever he is right now, goalie. So he should. So the, the yes, the reason to be concerned is that I think Jones has been, you know, average, maybe a little above average at best over his career as a starter. And we shouldn't expect any more than that over the course of his season. And then no, don't be worried about it because what he's doing right now is an indicative of what he will likely end up doing the rest of the season, even if he has a bad season, he should still be a few percentage points above where he is now. Yeah, I think a lot of goalies tend to to have slow starts. And for Jones, something that does kind of concern me is I think Kat Silverman had talked about this in a little bit or touched on it, uh, was that Martin Jones does have kind of movement issues lately. And I don't know if that's a result of like his, his back injury last year but he does he he lacks a little bit of movement blocker side and that concerns me and i think there are times you can like especially in the ducks game there was, and i don't remember who scored the goal off the top of my head but there was that one goal that it was just like jones what are you doing where were you on that right. <laughs> and oh yeah, yeah it was yeah it was like the defender backhanded one from the circle and it went over his shoulder yes. and I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> excuse me <laughs> excuse yes me. yeah so like come on dude yeah but yeah. it's also it's easy to look at that like you know and see see a goal that it, you know he should have gotten and have that color your interpretation of the rest of the game and how he's performing and i i don't think that i'm too concerned i think that when you let in a goal like that it sucks but 
I don't, I don't think it's indicative of his entire performance or what he's capable of. Right, right. So yeah, we he, we should see a better Jones than we've seen, but we shouldn't expect more than maybe an average yeah. goalie when he when he does. Yeah. Regress. So like that's. <laughs> I mean, that, that's also that's something we got to get out of our heads is that Jones is an elite goaltender because that's just not. <laughs> right. Not right. True. Exactly. Exactly. I think so. One. There's one model. This guy Cole Anderson has crowd scout sports, and he he was a, a goaltender in college. So he like created a model to help evaluate himself, basically to show his coaches what he was doing. And so his model is different from others in that it tries to control for rebounds. And so his has Jones as you know more of a, a top fifteen goalie over the course of the last two seasons. So that's you know his ceiling at yeah. this point, which is which is like solid. That's what that's what you want out of your starter, but. He's not going to give you like top five, top seven goalie numbers. And I know his his uh, playoffs has been much better, but like that's probably mostly due to variance and luck than anything, just because it's such a smaller sample size of games. Like I, I'm not willing to say, yeah, Jones is somehow a better goalie in the postseason, and he will always keep right. doing that. So moving on, we'll we'll go to this is from at No Sleeves Gaming. Y'all got some weird handles here. <laughs> uh, they asked, do you get the sense that after two games, it seems like Burns is pressing, maybe even subconsciously trying to outdo Carlson? I mean, I don't want to speak to Burns' mindset, so I don't I don't know what's going through his head right. when he's playing. Uh, the one thing I noticed in the Anaheim game was the only game that the Sharks have been at home yet is the Joachim Ryan and Brent Burns pair saw almost, I mean, saw basically zero ice time against yeah. the Ryan Getzlaff line. So DeBoer looks like he's going to employ an even heavier line matching strategy with Lassick and Carlson. So in that sense, like, sure, maybe Burns is pressing a little more, playing more offensively this season because he's probably given more leeway to do that. So it really seems like they're taking him off the first or most dangerous line as much as possible when at home and kind of letting him yeah. run a little bit I think more. I don't see it as like pressing or trying to outdo Carlson because I, I think in that way you would think you have competition with your own teammates, which is just not how the Sharks function. But also it having Carlson takes pressure off of Brent Burns. And so you're going to see Brent Burns change the way he plays right. and, and changes and Pete DeBoer changes usage just because Eric Carlson means that, you know, you can do that. You have that flexibility. And so, uh, yeah, I don't, I, like I said, I don't necessarily see it as pressing. I think that you're just going to notice quite a bit more from Burns in the time that he's given because he, he doesn't feel like he has to do everything all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And which, which might lead to what maybe seems like or feels like pressing because he's not pressured to be, you know, to play defense. Not that he does, but he's not pressured to play against top lines he's just like hey yeah. go out there and like do your thing so i don't i haven't seen what his own starts or anything look like but that doesn't typically have a huge effect on on guys shot differentials but if there's any sort of hey my eye test says that he's pressing more it's probably because DeBoer is doing an even crazier line matching this yeah. year than he was last year with his top pair going back to lineup we talked about a little bit in this this question got sent to us an email just after last week's episode went up so it's a little it doesn't include the fact that joe thornton has now been put on ir but mm-hmm. is there any chance mm-hmm. uh pete DeBoer bumps thornton and pavs to the second line and tries couture at 1c obviously it'd be a shakeup, but having a first line that doesn't produce would be worse right personally i think these are guys are good people and would take it as well as can be expected we won't likely have a real first line anyway but a few secondish lines and a decent fourth work for vegas so I mean, Kyle and I have talked about this a lot, that the second line is only really the second line in name. But what do you think on that? I think my short answer is no. I I think as long as Thornton's been here and DeBoer's been the coach, Thornton's been a top six forward. And like you said, kind of the Couture and Hurdle line is is Mm -hmm. second line only in name in the – in the Anaheim game, they didn't really seem to look for any matchups with their forward lines. So I think they're just going to kind of keep rolling them out there. And I don't, I, you know, until until Joe Thornton totally falls off a cliff or like Suomelo turns out to be a superstar or something, I don't see Thornton moving from that first line because he's his passing was still awesome. 
you know, last year and the few last few years before that. And he just does too much good stuff on the ice to be like, Oh, Hey, you're only going to yeah. get third line minutes now. And I, and I know, you know, it's exciting to kind of, I guess roster bait is the term and sort of move him around and be like, Oh my God, it'd be so cool. Joe Thornton was a, was a third line center sort of thing. But you have to find a balance between making your third line crazy and having a top line that can't do anything as other teams top line. Right. And I think if you look at the the question in terms of just moving Couture to one C, I think that as long as Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton are both on this team, that that's not going to happen. <laughs> like, even if it's just right. in name, it, the uh, Couture is not going to be listed as a top line center. I think they did one time last year before they got Evander Kane. At one point, they they listed Couture as the the top line or whatever. And when they posted the lineups, but in terms of uses, he didn't really change all too much. And then it went back the next game, anyways. So yeah, I think yeah, I I don't know the hard one now that Thornton's gone anyway. It's kind of moot, but. Uh, I think that top line did really well once they added Timo Meyer because in the you know in the preseason they tried it with Kane, but Timo Meyer on that top line is just phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. He looks like he's kind of hit his stride already this year and is and is off and running. So yeah, I don't see him getting pulled off. And I, I think the one thing that DeBoer does too is is lines are more matchup based. Like Couture was a decent bit more defensively deployed than Thornton last year. And, you know, guys like Donskoy and Tierney had almost had very few defensive zone starts. And so it's less, it's less, you know, who gets more minutes and who is the official first line and more what DeBoer wants to do with his line matching when he gets into games. And I don't, I don't know why he would say, okay, Couture, you can play, you know, a more offensive role now in Thornton older must go play more defense. So I, I, so just based on where they are and how DeBoer's role has lines, no, I think he has very mm-hmm. specific roles for his at least his top two lines, and I don't see him changing anything, especially as Joe gets right. older. Right, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, we have one last question, and I picked this one, even though it wasn't specifically asked for the podcast i figure if i have eric fowl here then i'm going to take advantage of this and i did i did reply (laughs) to this email but this is from brett murray who asked us about secondary assists so what he said was i'm just curious what the what's uh, i think this is a typo what's the deal with secondary assists my whole life i've weighted them the same or nearly the same as primary assists the writers at fear the fin give me the impression that in the relatively new fancy stat era secondary assists are not very valuable what's wrong with secondary assists uh the thing that's wrong with them mostly is that they're they're noisy so if you're looking at trying to predict someone's performance over the course of a season or the next season or whatever, looking at his secondary assists isn't going to help you because those bounce around from year to year. And so people who are analyzing how players have played and what they're likely to do in the future and how good of a score they are, look at only primary points. So goals and primary assists, because those two are much more predictive of what a guy is likely to do in the future. And so basically the secondary assist doesn't help tell you any better like how how well a guy is playing. So they're just there's no point in including them in analysis because they're going to throw you off more than anything. I think last year someone was like Braun had a great year. Look at all his assists, and they're like mostly secondary assists. And it's kind of like so he was lobbing the puck in, it bounced off the goalie. Someone got a piece of it. Someone else put yeah. it in, and like Braun gets credit for. Yeah, I think Demello you know, so. is the big one that that we've talked yeah. about, where Demello had twenty. 20 point 22 points something like that last year and literally mm-hmm. half of them were secondary assists <laughs> i i think um right right to the, the the thing that i and this is what i told this fellow uh, uh, is that there's no like correlation between secondary assist and production because they don't carry over year to year which is something that you kind of touched on that like you don't have a consistent rate of secondary assists because they're given i think so inconsistently that that it doesn't really tell you anything mm-hmm. about the, how a player is able to um, produce offensively. Right, right. And I, so the one, the one more thing to add to that is someone made a point of looking at, at Matt Barzell's mm-hmm. second assist last year and sort of saying, hey, look, this guy skated into the offensive zone, skated around four defenders, made a pass that then became another pass that then became a goal. And so 
that secondary assist was actually really valuable. But I think that type of play comes across in stuff like where people track Mm -hmm. zone entries and you're on ice stats. So someone who, when he's on the ice, the Sharks are really good at creating shots or creating chances. That's kind of where the secondary assist shines through anyway. And so there's, there's no point in sort of like adding that you know, adding the actual number to it, I guess, because that sort of that, that tertiary secondary buildup play is counted in other yeah. ways that doesn't, that doesn't like conflate the points that he's actually scoring. Himself. Yeah. And, and and something to note along those lines too, is that you can point out individual secondary assists that are meaningful, but when you're looking at how to use them statistically, um, and even honestly, I think if you're looking at a player's raw point totals in like as a whole those are not going to be as valuable even if you can point out the individual cases where well this one time (laughs) you know it it was you know important to the play as a whole and statistically when you're looking at that it's just creating extra noise (laughs) yes exactly exactly all right so that's all the questions we're going to get to this week we're going to get into kind of our final little segments here we're going to start doing these weekly i know i'm introducing kind of a new format when kyle isn't here which feels a little weird um you can just (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) you can blame him blame him and blame canada for having their thanksgiving when we're recording (laughs) i hope he enjoys his turkey so the first one we're going to do every week, this is, we're going to do Sens check. We're going to check in on the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> we're going to check in on the, the Sharks East. Yeah, the, uh, the Ottawa Hockey Club, the Ottawa <laughs> former Sharks, um, <laughs> and see how they're doing. So right now, they have three points in two games. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> What? so like what uh yeah <laughs> they lost in overtime to chicago and oh, then well, they just too, so. well yeah but then they just stomped <laughs> all over toronto last night <laughs> oh my god that's so funny what it is insane oh, i think i won some money from them that's awesome um <laughs> hi thanks manny um I- <laughs> <laughs> Oh god. See, I thought the sense check that we were gonna do every week was just gonna be really depressing, but this is hilarious. Right, right. I know. The fact that they are are doing fairly well. Well, it just goes to show I think there was someone did a study years ago that basically showed that that luck lasts through seventy games or so of a season. And so the skill of the actual best teams in the league doesn't start to pull through until the last ten games, and at that point a lot of playoff seating is already set and that sort of thing. And so this is just like part of the crazy nature that is sports that hockey is not very de- deterministic. It's, it's really close to like being a coin flip most of the time. So like that's what's happening. You're seeing a coin <laughs> land heads five times in a row with the Senators right now. But like the chances of that continuing over the course of the season isn't yeah. likely. So checking in on some former Sharks here. Uh, Chris <laughs> Tierney in the game against Chicago had an assist and one penalty. <laughs> um, oh, look at that. It was a secondary assist, though. Was it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't. <laughs> Poor I'm guy. just looking at um, the NHL Game Center, so it doesn't have them uh-huh. separated out. Oh, what a bummer! Uh-huh. We just talked about how little that matters. <laughs> I know. Fortunately, well, he has a goal though. Uh, in the next game, so yeah, he got a tripping yeah, okay, penalty. Okay. Wow, <laughs> get it? Oh, come on, Chris. Um, Probably on the PK, or he's not, or he's not pretty good. I hope they play him <laughs> on the PK all year. That's going to be an issue. You're fine. Um, uh, so then, <laughs> against Toronto, though, it was like former Sharks night. Like, they were just going off here. So, Tierney had a goal. Dil DeMello also had a goal. Um, I'm waiting for this to load now. Am I, <laughs> if my game suddenly mm-hmm. went away. Yes. And uh, Bodker also took a penalty. And it looks like Bodker had a primary I mean, assist. <laughs> it's just crazy, though. They won that game 5-3 against Toronto. Like, this powerhouse team this year because they have John Tavares. That is crazy. Yeah, but... well, powerhouse offensively. John Tavares is... John well, Tavares is really fun because the puck just goes everywhere when he's on the ice. Yeah. But, uh, Jesus, this is just crazy. I'm looking at this and I'm like, I, I just cannot believe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Toronto is still still struggling with their defense. But, mm-hmm. 
yeah, so that's that's how the Suns are doing. Uh, better than anyone would have thought. I thought they were gonna pull in Arizona and lose like the first twelve straight. So, oh well. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm a little surprised. I mean, like Mark Stone is really good. Duchesne is solid, and I'm you know there are probably some other guys I don't know about, but I'm struggling to sort of be like, oh oh, this guy's also <laughs> good. I, you know, Demelo is Demelo's like a solid third pairing defender. You know, he's not great. He's not yeah. terrible. So I, if he has an expanded role, it's not crazy that he ends up with a point or two here and there, but I bet his shooting percentage is like 75%. Oh, yeah, I, I didn't look, but God, I, I'm sure because... Well Are you looking it up? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah, so... He's, his shooting percentage is 50%. He's taken <laughs> two shots and scored, and scored one of them. So like, you know... <laughs> yeah. Certainly going to continue career career two point one percent shooter. <laughs> Dylan Demello is is about to go on a on a goal streak yeah. this season. Well, he's playing on their their second D pair, I believe, and Chris Tierney, I think, is still their second line center. Or that was the plan was to have him as second oh, line center, and I th- I think Bodker's on his wing, or maybe Bodker's on the third line. I don't know for sure. I haven't looked at it. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what a mess. But DeMello, with, with DeMello on the ice, the Sens are taking 44.8% of all shots. Like, that's horrendous. <laughs> so, anyway, I'm, I'm happy he scored a goal. It's not going to continue. Right, right. Well, you know, Eric Carlson hasn't scored a goal yet, so I guess they won the trade. <laughs> I, they they won they won the trade. I you know I bet I bet Josh Norris has a goal or two already in <laughs> in Michigan. Oh, I, although I don't know if their season has started. It's got to, it has to start. I don't know when the college hockey season is. Uh, yeah, no, he Josh Norris has an assist in one game, so he's he's, he's at a point per game rate right now. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right so from there we're gonna move to our predictions when we did these last year we're actually kind of structuring them this year we have a, a point system devised um i still have some questions on it so i'm gonna have to ask kyle about our point system but for the most part mm-hmm. the way that it works and by the way since eric is subbing in this week for kyle he is also going to sub in for kyle's predictions so sorry kyle you i haven't told you this <laughs> yet but uh all of eric's predictions count as yours for this week so <laughs> um and we haven't determined what we're going to do at the end of the season whoever wins but uh we have three prediction tiers so there's our bold predictions we're going to do five points if you get your bold prediction right we're going to guess our point total so how many games the sharks are playing how many points you think out of those number of games that they're going to earn in the standings one point if you are off by one and three points if you get it correct then we are going to predict how many uh, games you think that Arendelle is going to start. You get, I think you get two points if you get it correct, if you get the correct number, and then one point if you're off by one, but I'm not 100% on that. And then you can earn a bonus point if you guess which games he starts correctly. So okay. first we're going we're gonna to start with Arendelle Watch. Uh, how many games do you think he's going to start and against which teams? We've got four games coming up against the Islanders, the Flyers, uh, and that's a back-to-back. And then they have one day off. They go to the Rangers. They have two days off, and then they'll be at the New Jersey Devils um, for a morning game. So those are the four games we're looking at. They're all on the road. Mm-hmm. So I think as far as this road trip, and I, I cheated a little bit by trying to look at last year's game logs. I know Dell got all the Islanders games because we know they're bad. And like Jones got the second of a back-to-back early in the season when the Kings was the second game. But early in the season, he got the first night of the back-to-back. I think I think Dell plays against the Flyers just because I feel like the coaching staff wants to keep Jones in there for the next game to see if he can kind of get right versus yanking the the starting gig. I mean, they're not going like, to yank it for good, but I feel like he's in a rut, so let him play another game and see if he can kind of get out of it against an easy team versus do the typical thing of playing Dell against the supposedly worst team. So he's going to play... Dell will play against the Flyers. And that's just the one game? And just the one game, because the other two, there are three days between them, and I don't... You know, unless Dell... Or unless Jones totally 
has an awful night against the Islanders and they just say, forget about it. We're going to roll Dell for a month. I, I <laughs> can only see Dell starting against the Flyers. Okay. I am going to go one game as well, but I, I think it's going to be the Islanders. I, I don't, I just feel like that's going to be, I know. I, I mean, I get what you're saying and I think that that's fair. I also think that they, uh, I don't know. They tend to, to put uh, Dell in the easier kind of situations. And I think that they're just going to stick mm-hmm. with that for now. Cause I don't, I don't think that they really see too much being wrong with Jones and uh, yeah, that's, that's just kind of <laughs> how I see it going. So the next would be the next week's points. So we have four games, how many points do you think that they're going to get? Um, oh, man. That's a good question. I feel like I was going to try and do some some like quick math to figure this out. But it's weird because all these teams feel beatable mm-hmm. with the back-to-back being not even really an issue shots-wise. So, but like eight would be pretty crazy. So, um, six. They're going to take six points out of this road trip. I was going to say six, too. But, man, I don't know. How have the Rangers been doing? I don't, I don't know that off the top of my head. I don't think how they've been doing matters because <laughs> they're been just two in games. Yeah. They're in total <laughs> rebuild mode. And yeah, I mean, Henrik Lundqvist might steal a game here and there, which is totally feasible. But I, I don't, like, they just don't have enough players to Ooh. compete with. The <laughs> they've Sharks. lost both of their games so far. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're like they're getting their young kids in there, and they just have some some holdover veterans to kind of keep things together. But they're they're in they're in rebuild. Okay, I don't want to just go with six, but I think uh... you only do five and throw yeah. kind of loss in there. <laughs> I was gonna go seven. <laughs> like they're gonna get a point against each of these teams. You know what? I'll do it. They're gonna get a point against every team. So okay. this is seven is my guess. And then, do you have? <laughs> Do you have a bold prediction on deck for the week? Oh, you know, my my bold prediction is that is that Gambrell solidifies a a roster spot during this road trip. That's real bold, I think. Yeah. Well, I think Chartier was pretty bad during the preseason. I know it's preseason, but like he got thumped in the shot differential column. And like if that continues for even a game, I don't see why he would last for longer and i feel like maybe gambrell on the wing might be a little different or something so that's my that's my crazy prediction is gambrell plays well during the three games that he plays or something and they're like hey stick around for a while while jumbo's out okay i mean i could see it i think for me I'm going to do a bold prediction that the Sharks aren't going to do, but is going to be done against them. I think think that Wayne Simmons scores another hat trick against the Sharks. Oh, my God. (laughs) Going real, real bold here. Oh, man. Simmons, you know, Simmons, like, statistical profile is is Mikel Bodker, basically. Like, if you lined up their... It's like the same thing. I know I know there's more to it than that, but just from like a scoring and shot differential and that sort of thing, like their last their 2017-18 seasons looked identical. That's hilarious, actually. <laughs> uh yep. Yeah. So <laughs> Mikel Bodker is going to score a hat trick against the Sharks. Oh god. No, 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 no. I can't wait until he's played the Senators and like Dylan DeMello lights up Martin Jones Jesus. or something stupid like that. Uh, all right, so that's about going to do it for us. <laughs> we'll have Kyle back next week. Sorry, Eric. Uh, no, okay. it's been fun having you, though. I got a couple thank yous and stuff here to take care of. We've got uh, we've got new artwork. It is beautiful. If you go to our Twitter or SoundCloud, any of those, we've got like a new header as well that's got little drawings of me and Kyle. <laughs> um, and if Kyle were here, he would say that Molly made him look way hotter than in real life. So they're they're awesome, though. We got new, uh, like, album cover artwork and um and new stuff on the twitter so it looks very great you can find her at her website which is mollymurakami.com or on twitter at hey malls that's hey and then m-o-l-l-s she's amazing she's got a comic called blue liners it's about a fictional ushl team and the first girl to ever join them so uh she's amazing she's an artist and illustrator i love her very much and our artwork is amazing so 
huge thank you to Molly. Um, thank you to the Honey Wilders for letting us use their song Idle Wild as our intro and outro. They're a Bay Area band. You can find them on Spotify, iTunes. Um, they have a Facebook page. And actually, if you go to their Facebook right now, I'm waiting for the event to load. But um, they have an event coming up. They're playing at Lily Max on October 12th. And that's going to be in Sunnyvale, California. So if you're in the area, go check them out. They're a lot of fun. And you can find and you can find Blood, Sweat, and Teal on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Stitcher if there's another platform you want to see us on just let us know you can email us at fearthefin at gmail.com just put bst in your subject line and you can email us questions comments and again if you have any platforms that you want to see us on that we're not on already just let us know you can find uh the podcast on twitter at bs and teal you can find eric on twitter at foulball 15 that's foul spelled like his name f-o-w-l-e and you can find c on twitter at now you see me and c spelled s-i-e like her name <laughs> and i think that's gonna do it for us um yeah do you have any final thoughts eric no no i i mostly am optimistic based on the first two games i'm excited to see some of the younger guys get in some games and mostly just i'm, I'm gonna be at the sharks rangers game on thursday so i'm i'm pumped what? to go see my first game at madison square Garden. yeah yeah that's i'm excited awesome. i'm excited yeah so hopefully hopefully uh timo goes nuts against the rangers <laughs> Your boy, Timo. My boy, Timo. (laughs) Timo time, three times. Awesome. All right, that's going to be it. So uh, once again, I'm C. And I'm Eric. And this has been Blood, Sweat, and Teal. Eric Carlson is a San Jose shark. (sighs) Wow.